well. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. The Bible says, I implore Eudia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Christian artist Jack Dawson entered an art competition in which the theme of the competition was peace. There was one man that entered a beautiful country scene with rolling green grass and cows standing in the field, birds in the sky, a little village off in the distance. Another man entered a beautiful picture of a mother holding a sleeping baby in her arms, smiling lovingly at the child. And as you would have walked through the gallery, it would have been filled with these pictures that no doubt would have brought a sense of calm, a sense of joy as you took them in. But Jack Dawson entered the competition with a painting, which at first glance almost seems like satire. His canvas showed a ravaging storm. You can see the picture, it's kind of small, but it's this ravaging storm with rushing water and dark skies and lightning bolts in the background. But if you look closely, I don't know if you can look this picture up afterwards and see it better, but if you look closely underneath the waterfall, you will find a small bird that's hidden in the cleft of rock, safe and dry in the middle of this storm. This is the real meaning of peace. Peace does not mean to be in a place where there's no noise, no trouble, no hard work, but peace means to be in the middle of all those things and still be calm in your heart. I'm excited about this text this morning. I believe that this text is a timely one. We live in a society in a day and an age where anxiety, worry, stress just infiltrated and burdened the hearts of majority of people. People you wouldn't even know that suffer with these things. I saw a study that said that close to 50% of people suffer with anxiety and depression on a daily basis. We worry about war, we worry about finances, we worry about our health, about our relationships, we worry about diseases that are going on around us. The list goes on and on and on. 
message all around this seems to be peace, yet there is no peace. There's no peace between neighbors. There's no peace between nationalities. There's no peace between nations. There's no calm. There's no tranquility. There's no harmony in this world that we live in. But as we dive into our text this morning, I hope to help you see how peace is not found in the absence of problems, but peace is found in the presence of God. You would, let's just bow our heads, let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I again just thank you for the awesome opportunity to open your word and declare, thus saith the Lord. Lord, I know that there's people in here this morning that are stressed out, that are worried, that don't have peace in their hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would take your words and you would take this message and challenge and convict and comfort those here this morning that are heavy burden, Lord. Lord, I pray that Jesus would be exalted and that you would be glorified. We love you. Thank you for all you do. In Christ's name, amen. In verses 2 through 9 of Philippians chapter 4, there is this overwhelming theme of peace. And I believe this theme of peace centers around this phrase in verse 5. If you look at verse 5 of chapter 4, there is this phrase, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Just as knowing an inhaler is at hand comforts the asthmatic and a bottle of water being at hand brings joy to the dehydrated. Knowing that the Lord is at hand brings peace to the Christian. This phrase, the Lord at hand, speaks of the nearness of God. And it can be understood in two different senses, both of which I honestly think are beneficial to our quest for peace. It's the idea that God is both near in space and in time. One could read this as saying, the Lord is returning soon. He's coming back for his bride and will make all things right. And another can read it to say, God is near in personal proximity right now. That in the meantime, while we wait on the return of the Lord, we still have personal access to him. The Lord is at hand. Psalms 145, 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him. So this morning, I want to see two different ways in which the nearness of God brings peace. The first that I want to see in verses 2 through 5 is that the nearness of God brings peace with others. Peace with others is a major theme that we have studied and seen as we walk through the book of Philippians. And as we get ready to close this, this book, the Apostle Paul one more time make makes a final appeal to unity in the body, to unity amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. In chapter 4, we see this case of disunity in the Philippian church between two women, Eudia and Syntyche. We aren't told exactly what they're disputing about, but we can make the assumption that it's probably something that's not extremely important because the Apostle Paul waited until the end of the letter to address it. In the other letters that he wrote to churches, he would put the most pressing things towards the beginning of the letter. So, with this thing at the end, we 
come to the understanding that whatever they were arguing about really was not a huge deal. Yet, no doubt when this letter would have been read aloud in corporate worship to the church at Philippi, they would have known exactly what Paul was talking about. They would have heard Synthetia and Judea, and it would have came to their mind, yeah, that's exactly what he's speaking to. And you know, as, 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 as I look at this, this really calling out of these women, I'm not necessarily advocating that we should publicly address and call out everyone who causes division, but I do I find it interesting that the Apostle Paul does. He calls them by name. He leaves no qualms about it. He unapologetically calls them from fighting and division to being of the same mind, back to unity and mission. Paul says, I implore Judea, and I implore Sintichi, or I beseech Judea and Sintichi. I think it's interesting also that Paul says he implores both of them. He doesn't say, I implore Judea and Sintichi. It's almost as if he's saying, hey, listen, even though one of you might be right, you're both wrong. I'm, I'm urging both of you. I'm not taking sides in this because no matter the situation, division is never okay. This word implore is it's strong language. It means to strongly urge someone. And he, he strongly urges them to be of the same mind, agreeing in the Lord. We saw this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul said, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Understand this. Personal conflict is possible for people in Christ only when they have lost the mind of Christ. Personal conflict is only possible for us when we have lost the mind of Christ. We see in these first few verses that ensuring peace with others, especially within the church, is the responsibility of the congregation. When there is disunity among believers, brothers and sisters should be speaking to it. They should be reminding both parties of the unity and mission of the gospel. Paul says to his his fellow companion, his, his yoke fellow, the, the, the others in the church that he was working with to help these women. Don't just allow them to remain angry and disunified, causing division and gossiping, but intervene and lovingly bring them back into one accord. And listen, the same is true for us as a church here today. There's going to be times when our minds get out of tune. There's going to be times when we miss the big picture and we get off mission. And it's during those times that we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to lovingly point us back to Jesus, to help us to be of the same mind, to remind us that gospel advancement is more important than our quarrels. You know, I've heard it said before that oftentimes we major on the minors. The things that are of little importance, the things that have nothing to do with ushering God's kingdom and seeing people get saved, those are the things we spend the most time on. Paul reminds these ladies that they have worked side by side with him and that their names are in the book of life. The book of life is the membership role. 
for those who have put their faith in Christ. It's for those who are saved and who will join God in heaven for eternity. This is the only reference in the New Testament to the book of life outside of the book of Revelation. And I have a feeling that the Apostle Paul included this to remind them, hey, listen, there's going to be a day when you're going to be reconciled in heaven. When you're going to be with each other for eternity. So you might as well make up right now. I heard a joke. I, 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 I wasn't sure if I was going to share it or not. I shared a joke last week and nobody caught it. So, <laughs> so and Brooke contained me I mean, when I shared jokes. But I'm, I'm going to tell you anyway. It's Father's Day, so here's my joke. I heard a, saw a joke this week about a Methodist, a Presbyterian, and a Pentecostal. And this Methodist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostal got to heaven. And when they got to heaven, St. Peter told them, come, he said, come here. He said, when you enter heaven, be real quiet when you go past that door right there. So they look at him confused. They're like, why does he want us to be quiet? He said, well, why should we be quiet? He says, well, the Baptists are in there. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> Listen, for those who have true faith who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we need to be on mission together, not always fighting and quarreling with one another, but pointing each other back to gospel advancement. Listen, unity and sympathy should be shining for the Lord, not disputing with one another. As you get to verse 4 and 5, some people believe that verses 4 and 5 are independent proclamations aside from what Paul said in verse 2 and 3. That in verse 4 and 5, Paul just begins kind of rapid-firing what it means to be a Christian. And while I agree that they can stand as independent clauses and independent proclamations, my, my, as I was studying this week, my mind just could not shake the idea that verses 4 and 5 are connected to this call to unity in verses 2 and 3. Look at verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse 5, Let your gentleness be known to all men. Many of us here know that when division, bitterness, and hatred come in, joy goes out. You want peace with others, you want to agree with the Lord, start by rejoicing in the Lord. When you delight in Christ and when you delight in what Christ has done for you, it becomes a lot harder to major on the minors. Those small disagreements that you have with one another no longer matter. Rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the cross, rejoice in your salvation, rejoice in what he's brought you from and what he's brought you to. And stop fighting. You know, this is a word for all of us. No matter our circumstances, we should always rejoice in the Lord. Like Paul said, again, I will say rejoice. Then in verse 5, Paul then says to let your gentleness be known to everyone. Again, understanding kind of how division works and how fighting amongst the body works. I find it hard to believe that Paul's call to gentleness has nothing to do with this bickering and quarreling among these women. 
The gentle person is sober-minded and clear-thinking. The gentle person is the contagiously calm person who reminds others God is in control. Christians are not to be seen as easily angered or foolish, but rather as reasonable, wise people who can handle difficulties and disagreements with maturity. Paul is speaking of a gentleness that arises out of strength. This is not a gentleness that comes from being weak, but rather it's a fair-mindedness that refuses to harbor resentment and extends love and understanding toward another. In the Greek Psalter, the Greek book of the Psalms that they would have sang um, at Philippi, this term in the Greek that is used here for, for gentleness, for moderation, is the term that was used to express God's readiness to forgive. In Psalms 86.5, the psalmist says, You, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. <coughs> See, and we can have this kind of gentleness. We can have peace with others because the Lord is at hand. Knowing Jesus can come at any time stops foolish divisiveness and makes us rather be known for our gentleness. There's no greater motivation for righteousness than the understanding <coughs> and living for the return of the Lord. A.W. Tozer said, when he returns, it's not as important as the fact that we are ready for him when he does Return and first John says, Now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Be gentle towards others because the Lord is at hand. The Lord can come back at any time. Listen, do you want when the Lord comes back, do you want to have a life that is spent more time fighting each other than fighting the devil? The Lord is at hand. But also be gentle to others, knowing that when Christ comes back, he will make all things right. That means that we can be gentle with others even when we know that we're right. In Romans 12, Paul says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because the Lord is near, we can have peace with others. But then in verses 6-7, through seven, we see that because the Lord is near, we can have peace within ourselves. Here, verse 6 with me, the Bible says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Listen, the Lord is at hand, therefore, be anxious for nothing. 
The nearness of the Lord should not only convict us to live right and holy, righteous lives, but the nearness of the Lord should also comfort us. Listen, anxiety and depression, worry are real. <laughs> and I used to be the kind of person that when I would see somebody that had anxiety, I'd kind of scoff, honestly, sadly. I'd scoff and say, you know, what are you freaking out about? You know, when you're young, nothing really scares you. You know, nothing can hurt you. But as you start to grow a little older, life becomes a little more precious. Especially when you have a child. I mean, I remember when Nehemiah was first born. I would, at night, I just have panic attacks, anxiety attacks, just thinking about something. There was nothing wrong at all, but just the idea that something could happen to my baby. And I would have these panic attacks. And I just say that to tell you that as we look at anxiety from a biblical standpoint, I don't want you to feel as if I'm connected or disconnected from reality. So I am not immune to having anxiety just as much as everyone else in here is not. But when we look at scripture and we really begin to, and also let me state this, there are times when anxiety is because of hormones and there's things that a doctor can do for anxiety. So I'm not saying all anxiety is spiritual, but there's probably more spiritual anxiety than we like to admit. So when we truly think about it and we ask ourselves, why am I so worried? When it boils down to it, more often than not, anxiety and worry in your life and my life is a lack of trust in God's care. This is why Paul says, be anxious for nothing. The Oxford Dictionary definition of nothing is this, get it? It's not anything. No single thing. Anxiety is not merely worry by itself, but anxiety is, is worry placed in the wrong place. Anxiety is when you take the worries of the world, when you take the stress and the things that you cannot control and you wear them on your shoulders. You allow the burdens of life to overcome you and you internalize them rather than giving them to God, knowing that God is better suited and better able and better capable to be able to bear your burdens. Listen, you are not, deserve, you are not designed to bear your burdens alone. First Peter, Peter says, cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. Cast your anxiety on the Lord. Cast your worry on the Lord. Cast your request, whatever is bothering you, Lay it on the Lord because he cares for you. Listen, when you are facing challenges, either you can magnify your challenges or you can magnify your God. But you cannot do both. Don't worry, for the Lord is at hand. You have access to the creator and the sustainer of the world. So why worry? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't worry about your life, about what you will eat or drink. Your heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air, and are you not of much more value than them? He says, don't worry about your clothing. Just as God clothes the fields with lilies and grasses, will he not much more clothe you? Listen, not only does your heavenly Father know your needs, but 
God is the only one that can truly do anything about them. This is why Paul says, let your request be made known to God. So often we run to everybody else. We run to our family. We run to our friends. We run to therapists. We run to social media and cast all our cares and all our burdens on them. And sooner than later we find out that, well, they can't really help us. And so what Paul says is rather than casting your cares on everyone else, that what we should do as Christians is start with God. And most likely when you start with God, you'll learn that God is where you end because you won't need to go to anybody else. Rather than letting anxiety consume your mind and ruin your day, Paul says take your worry, package it up with prayer and thanksgiving and send it to the Lord. For the Christian, our list of anxieties should be Nothing, because we've taken everything to the Lord. Paul sees the Christians battle against anxiety as one fought by praying. The idea of prayer battle, of prayer being our, our, our main weapon against anxiety pivots on the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, it's a word I've used before, it speaks that God knows all and God is all powerful that God is in control so we pray because God is sovereign and we are not we lack the power to alter the most difficult circumstances we lack the wisdom to know what is best we lack the perspective to know the best and the grand scheme of God's plan so next time you begin to worry about your children take it to the Lord Next time you begin to grow weary of your doctor's report, take it to the Lord. Next time you're anxious about how the bills are going to get paid, where your next meal is going to come from, or you're fretting about your marriage that may be on the rocks, take it to the Lord in prayer. Oh, I'm reminded of the hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege. To carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Listen, when we trust the sovereignty of God, there is a peace that overcomes. So you look at verse 7. In verse 6, Paul says, rather than being anxious, let your request be made known to God. And verse 7 begins with this little word, and. One commentator said that the and used to begin verse 7 is the inseparable consequence of thus laying everything before God in prayer and thanksgiving. He says, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. I know that there's some of you in here this morning that know of that peace, that have experienced that peace. Oh, and my prayer is that there's some of you here this morning that if you have not experienced that peace, that you will 
that you will cast your burdens on the Lord and in exchange he will give you the peace that passes all understanding. The peace in the midst of heartache, the peace that, that passes all understanding because according to human reasoning, there's no reason that you should be smiling right now. The peace that comes not necessarily because things are good, but because God is good. The kind of peace that comes from God alone. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Oh, let your hearts not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The kind of peace that rests in God's sovereignty. Colossians 3.15 And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you are called in one body. Be thankful. Such peace, Paul says that this peace will guard your hearts and minds. Such peace is like a squad of Roman soldiers standing guard and protecting you from worry and fret. The great exchange, I cast my burdens, I cast my worries, I cast my stress, my anxieties, all of life's perils on the Lord. In exchange, he gives me the peace that passes all understanding. <coughs> what I like about this passage is that Paul doesn't simply tell his audience to stop being anxious, but he gives us an application. He helps you to know and to learn how to redirect our thoughts in order to cast away that anxiety. Look at verse eight and verse eight, Paul says, finally, whatever things are true, whatever things, first off, true, whatever things are true means what things are not false. You know, that's one thing with anxiety is that oftentimes we become so worried about things that are not even reality. We make up these scenarios in our mind and they're false, they're not true. So Paul says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is anything or if there's any virtue in anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. I wish I had more time to be able to sit on this verse, but if you join us on Wednesday, we'll dive a little bit more into this list that Paul gives. What Paul is reminding us is that anxiety and worry are a war of the mind. And he says, rather than thinking about every bad scenario, both real and made up, we have to learn to redirect our thoughts to those of God. He spells out in detail the things that we are to be thinking about. You know, verse 8 is applicable for any time that you feel down. I had a season in my life where I just was, I was hurting. I was mentally was just kind of out of it. And this verse was a huge help to me because, when, you know, when you're worried and you're anxious, it's so easy to think about how bad things are. So easy. That's all that is in your mind. But if you 
begin to search and begin to look and say, you know, that's rough, but God is doing this in my life, or God has done that, or this is a good relationship I have. And when you learn to take those thoughts and cast them aside and bring these things of Christ into your mind, it, it helps. It, it brings peace. It, it gets rid of, helps get rid of that anxiety. So anytime you feel down and you begin to worry and doubt God, meditate on the goodness of God. Meditate on what he's doing in your life. And if you feel like God is not doing anything in your life, meditate <laughs> on what he has done. Because I promise you, if you are a believer in Christ, God has done a work in your life. And stop letting negativity crowd your brain. Good verse 9 with you. Verse 9, Paul says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. If you want to know the peace of God that's found in verse 7, you must first know the God of peace. Listen, there may be somebody here this morning that has inner turmoil that's going on in their lives. And maybe it's because you don't know the God of peace. Isaiah 48.22 says, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, I beg of you, do it today. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Without Christ, we are the wicked for whom there is no peace. Listen, the wickedness of our lives separates us from a holy and loving God. Our wickedness condemns us to everlasting fire and flame. But Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came to earth 2,000 years ago. He lived a perfect and sinless life, yet he was marched to the cross of Calvary. He was hung high and stretched wide. He had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He had nails in his hands and feet. He had a spear pierced into his side. On the cross, Christ died the death that we deserved in our place so that we could live the life that he had earned. But the cross wasn't the end. Because three days later, he walked out from the grave, conquering hell and death and giving us the means to be reconciled to God, to be brought back into that right relationship with the creator of the world, to experience true and everlasting peace. Listen, if you know Christ as your Savior, know that the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand, and cast your cares on him, and live in peace. And if you're here this morning, and you've never put faith and trust in Christ, I beg of you to call upon his name. Receive his peace. Listen, we sang earlier, his mercy is more. There is no sin too great for God to forgive. He loves you and he's calling you into a relationship with him. All that you have to do is accept it. Amen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Every head bowed, eyes closed.
If there is anybody here this morning and you say, I don't know that I know the God of peace, but I would like to know him. If that is you here this morning, if you have questions about what it means to follow,